Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Luke chapter 4 verse 16. He went to Nazareth, that's Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went up into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'll never forget my first day at high school. Anybody remember that day? When you rock up to high school in a brand new immaculate uniform that your parents have just bought you, all the fourth formers have had one year of use out of theirs. You're turning up, you're a third former, whatever you are now, you're like a year nine, is that right? Year nine, I can't get my head around it. But you know, you turn up to school and you're brand new. You've got this brand new uniform on. They might as well stick on a badge saying, I'm brand new to school, beat me. You know, like the, the just could your parents buy your kids secondhand uniforms so that they just might look like they're a fourth former already, year 10 already. I turn up my first day at school. I'm on my bike because it's really not cool to have your mum drop you off at school and your first day in high school. I've come from a private Christian school and uh, you know, you were bad at my Christian school if you dropped the occasional expletive, you know. When I arrived at high school, it was like every third word was a swear word. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like having a Vodafone phone where you can only hear first, second and fourth word. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is like, you know, hello, how are today and it was kind of like that because every other word was an expletive and so I'm arriving it's like a totally new environment and I arrive on my push bike ready for my new school and and when I arrived up there's a gate into the school and then the driveway went down this way then to 90 degrees and went down that way and then over there in the corner is the school hall And between where I was at the gate and the school hall where the entire third form is assembled for the first day of school is a large field. Well, I've never liked taking the long way. So I see the field and I'm thinking to myself, well, why would I ride down the drive then up that way? The school I came from only had one or two fields. And so I didn't know anything about groundskeepers and rules and, you know, stuff like that. All I knew was there was a field. I was on a bike. So I just turned across the field and started riding across it. I got maybe two thirds of the way, three quarters of the way across this field when suddenly the groundsman came out from wherever he was hiding. He was definitely de- demon possessed. He came out and with just, you know, a lot of anger, he had a lot of issues going on. He needed to hear my sermon today. 
He came out from nowhere and began to yell at the top of his voice for all my friends. Well, hopefully, you know, I haven't made friends yet. I'm just a loner turning up to school with ginger hair, you know, fluoro white, pink, fluoro pink skin, you know, pimples. I mean, I'm already insecure. And here I am, a groundsman yelling, get off your bike, get off. Get off your bike! You do you think you are? I'm gonna beat you in the no, no, he didn't say that, but you know, makes for colourful preaching. But you know, he, he yelled at me to get off the bike, he's angry, he says, Go back the way you came. So I had to get off my bike, push my bike all the way back across the field, all the third form, the whole third form are mocking me as I'm walking backwards across. Then I had to park my bike right next to walk, ride it back up the two driveways and park my bike right next to where the entire third form was gathered. I got to the end of that experience and how many people know, I wanted a second chance at my first day at school. (laughs) There are many times in life where really what you just love is to have a second chance. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In my first year of ministry, it got so bad trying to get teenagers to listen to me when I was preaching that I went into a high school to preach and preach on relationships. I was invited to speak on sharing your faith in Christ and I preach on relationships. I'm 19 years old. I've just got saved. I'm radically saved, but radical in everything I said. And here I am, by the end of my message, if you held hands with a girl, looked at a girl, thought about a girl, you were basically in some form of sin. And I had to, I mean, three days later, the, the teacher called up my, my boss and said, basically, what are you doing sending this kid into the school? I had to write an apology letter. It was four months before I was allowed to preach another sermon. I'm letting you write in on the juicy details of your pastor's history right now. But the reality is about that first year, I just wanted a second chance. And often in life, we end up in positions where really what we'd just love would be for somebody to roll back the clock, give us a do-over, an opportunity to do it all again. We really want in some arena of our life to have a, a second chance. When Jesus jumped up and preached this first sermon in his own hometown and opens the Bible, the passage of Scripture that he chose for his inaugural sermon was Isaiah 61, a prophecy about the Spirit of the Lord and about how people in captivity would be set free and you know debts would be released and people would be come out of captivity and it would be like a, the oil of joy for mourning and a garment of praise instead of heaviness and the year of the Lord's favor. The people he was preaching to knew that what he was talking about was two things. Number one, Isaiah 61 was a prophecy of a coming Messiah. The second thing, it was a declaration of jubilee. Jubilee, this passage, this thought that we've been focusing on for the last couple of weeks from Leviticus 25, where the Bible says that in God's land, that every 50 years, every debt was to be cancelled. Every slave was to be set free. All ancestral land was to be returned to its original owner. That every 50 years, every Israelite got a makeover. This slight Their slate was wiped clean. Their record was cancelled. Their debts were gone. Every Israelite was to receive a second chance. And Jesus stands up at His first sermon and says, not only has the Messiah come, 
but Jubilee has come. Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. When Jesus came to this world, He came more than just to preach good sermons. He came to this world to bring God's eternal Jubilee. Man, bigger than lands being restored is the fact that we all have a debt, a debt to the devil through our sin. And Jesus said, your debt is cancelled because of the cross. You might have lost your inheritance because of folly in your world, sinfulness in your world, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, the inheritance, the blessing, the favour of God is restored in Jubilee. Jesus' eternal Jubilee. He came to this world to bring us Jubilee, a second chance at life, a fresh opportunity to go again. The opportunity to start anew in life is the promise of God in our world. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that Jesus is the God of Jubilee. He offers us a brand new opportunity at this life. He said, I will, I will erase your wrong. I will forgive your sin. The Bible said that he, he casts our wrong from us as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. That there is no sentence over our lives when we find a relationship with Jesus, but we step into Jubilee. It's an amazing thing to know that what Jesus brings to our life is a second chance a second chance for our sin, a second chance for our mistakes, a second chance, and at a, a, He gives us a whole new set of opportunities and says, your life can be made new. The promise of Jubilee is amazing because I don't think we'd have to search too far in this room to find somebody who's got some area about their life that they'd just love to wind back the clock and do it different. Somebody would just love to have a new set of opportunities and Jesus promises to every single one of us a jubilee. It's an amazing promise. It's an amazing thing. You know, there's no evidence. I've obviously over the last few weeks read a lot of commentaries about this thought of jubilee. And there is no evidence that in the history of Israel, jubilee ever actually happened. That never, never, I mean, God said in Leviticus 25, this is what is to take place. Every 50 years, every debt is cancelled, every slave is to go free, all land is to be restored. But there is no record in Bible history or just in historical records that Jubilee ever actually occurred. In fact, if you read the prophetic books, you'll find all the way through the prophetic books, God saying this over and over again. I'm sending you into exile until the land has enjoyed its Sabbaths. Until the land has enjoyed its Sabbaths. Until the land has enjoyed its Sabbaths. When you read it, you can miss it because you think that God's somehow just talking about the Sabbaths, not knowing that the Sabbaths were every seven years, the land was to have a Sabbath. And every seven times seven is 49. And on the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. The writer, the prophet is not speaking primarily just to the concept of a Sabbath year. He's speaking about the Jubilee year because Jubilee is in the very nature and character of God. God, God doesn't want us 
carrying around yesterday forever. You, you can't ever right the wrongs in your life. That's what Jubilee is saying. And God's saying, if you won't bring Jubilee, then I will send you into exile. This is not just the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament. So God says the year of Jubilee is every seven times seven, 49, 50. Now, Jesus has, has asked the question in the New Testament, how often should I forgive somebody? And His answer was 70 times seven. It wasn't just a a random kind of statement. He's saying, no, no, Jubilee might have been seven times seven, but this is 70 times seven because Jubilee now is not just once every 50 years. I came to bring an eternal Jubilee because of what I have done. Everybody can be forgiven. Everybody can have a second chance. Everybody gets a brand new tomorrow. I came to bring a constant state of Jubilee. And listen, church, we only walk in Jubilee when we give Jubilee. That's why Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because if I will be Jubilee, I can live in Jubilee. So God is looking for a people who really will embrace and understand and live in this concept of a second chance. This church is about People who need one, finding a second chance. Has anybody found a second chance in Jesus today? Come on, would you be brave enough to say something in my life I needed a makeover? Just wave a hand around in the air. And the truth is that not only do we need one, the person next to us needs one, our world needs one. And Jesus came so that you and I could bring to people's lives a second chance. Jubilee, freedom to be released, to have have the opportunity to do it all again. It's about the power of Jubilee. And this morning, I really do believe that God wants to speak into people's lives in this auditorium, the simple thought that every single one of us needs a second chance. And what God offers to you this morning is in Jesus, in Jubilee, a second chance. We all need one. But not only can we all need one, we all can have one. Jesus made it possible for us to have a second chance. And I wanna declare over five different groups of people, Jubilee this morning, a second chance this morning. And as I speak it, one might be for you. I think to be honest, all will be for you. But as we declare this out, I want you just to receive a statement over your life that this is your jubilee. This is the year of the Lord's favour. And the first group of people, the first person in this room that I wanna declare jubilee over is the sinner. Every sinner needs to know in this room this morning that God gives you a second chance. God gives to every sinner a second chance. In Romans chapter eight is that amazing passage of Scripture where this woman is caught in the very act of adultery. Side note, where's the man? As far as I know, it takes two to commit adultery. And if you're in the act, surely there's a guy. But you know, from the fall of man forward, guys have always been throwing girls under the bus. Adam, why did you do it? The woman did it, you know. Here we got the girl getting thrown under the bus. Why were you late? The wife did it, you know. I mean, we've always... Always blaming the girl. You girls should be saying amen. I thought I'd get some love, but instead you're just sort of sitting there afraid to speak. No, 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 it's your jubilee. 
But here's this, here's this woman caught in the act of adultery and these, these religious people throw her in front of Jesus, these hypocrites, they throw her in front of Jesus and they say, man, the law says that this woman should die for the sin that she's committed. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus levels a challenge and says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And from the oldest, the older you are, the more you're aware of your need for a second chance. From the oldest to the youngest, they all walk away. And then Jesus looks at the woman, it's coming up on the screen in verse 10, He says to the woman, woman, where are they that condemn you? And she says, there is no one. And then Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, the problem is that this woman, I don't know what's gone wrong in her life that makes her fall into the arms of a married man. And I don't know why she would be unfaithful to the man that she's married to. But what I do know is that hurt people hurt people. And this woman has got something hanging over her life and Jesus gives voice to it. He says, where are they that condemn you? Condemnation. Because condemnation hangs over the guilty. And so Jesus says, hang on a minute. Let's deal with the issue. Where are they that condemn you? And the woman says, there's no one here. And Jesus says, exactly, perfect. And if anybody could condemn you, it's me. But I didn't come to condemn you. I came to die for you. So that every sinner could know that your condemnation is gone and God gives to you a second chance so that you and I could be free from it, so that we could get up again, we could go again, we could move again, so that condemnation could be broken. Jubilee says that the past sins are released so that you can move forward. The past sin is removed. You're accepted again. You've got a future ahead of you. Your opportunities are restored that God is giving to every person the, willing, the ability to walk free from what happened yesterday. He's saying to the woman two things, your sins are forgiven and you're no worse than anybody else. And my friends, I want you to understand that we'd like to, we'd like to make this woman in some unique category, but Jesus says, no, no, no. Every sinner is the same as every other sinner. We've all grieved God. We've all broken His heart. And for every single person in this room, we all needed a second chance. And every sinner in this room needs to know that God has given you today a second chance. Somebody say amen in this room. Come on, come on. The second group of people that I believe God wants to speak a second chance over today, the sinner, number two, the failure. There are failures in this room. There are people who feel like they set out to do something in life and failed at it. And as a result of it, we live with the sentence of failure over our lives. I had the opportunity. I could have done something, but I failed. I wasted my opportunity. And as a result of it, we feel the sentence of failure being spoken over us. The Bible tells us that Peter said to Jesus, I will never deny you. 
I mean, Jesus is about to be arrested and he's like, you will all be unfaithful to me. Don't worry about it. I love you enough to die for you. I already know. See, that's, that's gotta tell you something about God, doesn't it? He already knew that his inner circle were not gonna be up to the challenge that was coming their way. And he said, don't worry about it. I love you in spite of it. And Peter says, I will never deny you. And Jesus just says, Pete, it's gonna happen. He's like, no, I will never deny you. And then we know that Peter was unable to be true to what he said he was going to accomplish. He failed, denied Jesus three times. So then the Bible says that he went back to fishing because you always go back to the last point you felt confident when failure is over your life. Now fishing's okay if that's what God's called you to do, but he was supposed to be an apostle who birthed the early church and instead he's living enslaved to his failure. And Jesus says, no, no, hang on a minute. So in John 21 verse 15 and 16 is that amazing moment when Jesus looks at him three times, one for every failure. And he says to him, Peter, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, you know I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? And Peter's like, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, what are you doing camped out in your failure? Notice that Jesus didn't ask him about his failure. He asked him about his heart. God's not looking at whether you're successful every time because you will never be successful every time. I'm not a self-made man, neither are you a self-made man or a self-made woman. We're God-made men and women. We're all failures, but God chose to make us anyway, love us in spite of ourselves. And every failure in this room can get a second chance in Jesus. He's not saying, did you mess it up? Are you a loser? Are you a moron? He's saying, do you love me? If you love Him, you've got a second chance this morning. Somebody can give Him some praise if they want to. Get a little bit excited. The only failure we ever have is to stop in our failure. Make it a point, but not a destination. Just keep going. As Julian declared last week, failure is not final. Number three, every, every sinner, every failure, and then every squanderer in this room needs a second chance. There's nothing worse in your life than wasted opportunities. The, the Bible tells us that this amazing story in Luke chapter 15 about this, this son. There's two brothers, and one of them is what we call the prodigal son who says to his dad, dad, you know, you've, you've managed this farm, you've made a lot of money, but you know, you kind of played low risk poker. I, I wanna play some high roller. I wanna, I wanna bet the farm. I wanna go after it. I, I wanna drive the Bentley. I'm, I could do better. I could take bigger risks. He's cocky, he's arrogant. And the Bible tells us that he sits out on his own and he wastes his inheritance, squanders what his father has given to him. And any person who's ever squandered something in their life, maybe you've squandered the quality time you could have spent with your children. Maybe you've squandered some kind of investment in your life. Maybe you've squandered away some kind of season or time or moment in your life. You can end up being in the same place as this younger son where he's literally saying, I have no right even to be called my father's son again. I should just be like one of his hired servants. But he ends 
up at a point in his life, uh, he's looking at pigs. He's feeding pigs, this prodigal son. He's come to the lowest of the low. He's looking at the corn cobs that they are eating. I hate corn on the cob. I mean, it's just of the devil. I mean, cut it off. That's all right. But who wants to eat corn straight off the cob and get a little bits between your teeth? I mean, it's just disgusting. I feel like just grabbing a piece of floss, even as I think about it. It's like, ooh, who does that? But he's looking not at the, cob, the corn on the cob. He's looking at the cob and thinking, I'll eat that. You know, if you see Madagascar 3, it's like Ice Age 3. You know, it's like, you know, here's a, here's a pine cone. Chew on that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, what, what, what are you thinking? And he says to himself, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, would you make me like one of your hired servants? And there are squanderers all over this room who have made that the benchmark of a second chance for your life. Would you just get, make me like a hired servant? And that's why it's so important today that we speak Jubilee over every life. Because the Bible tells us, and the Scripture's coming up on the screen this morning, that the son comes back to his father, arrives home to his dad. And in Luke 15, verse 21, he says, Would you, I've, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. Would you make me like one of your servants? And the father says, quick, bring a ring, put it on his finger, bring a robe, put it on his back, bring sandals, put them on his feet. He says, man, my son, be my servant, never. You may have wasted something, you may have squandered something, but you will always be my son. You'll always be God's child, always be his son, his daughter. It doesn't matter how many times you are faithless, your Father in heaven is always faithful. You can come back to Him after you've squandered anything in your life. And He says, I will make you my son and my daughter again. Somebody give God praise that the squanderer can find a second chance. The devil's plan for every person's life is that they would walk through this world not understanding Jesus proclaimed jubilee. He wants you to think that somehow you're undeserving, unable, un that He's unwilling, God's unwilling, that somehow you can never be free. But God wants you to know you can have a second chance. You can be released from your prison. You can come out. You can get a new set of opportunities for every squanderer in this room. I'm believing that faith is gonna fill your heart this morning to know you've got a tomorrow in Jesus. You've got a next year in Jesus. You've got a fresh set of opportunities. He's gonna restore you again, bless you again. He's a good God, isn't He? Number four, this is my fourth one, is the waiter. Jillian, in the first service, I said that this word waiter, I made it up. Like I should have the person who's waiting, I, but I has to add the sinner, the squanderer, you know, the, 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 the something or other, the, the failure. And then I wanted to have the waiter. And Jillian's like, oh, it's not really a word because she got the school prize for English and I got 48% for school C English. <laughs> I tend to trust her about these things, but, but don't you ever do this. But Jillian Googled the word waiter and turns out that it is legitimately... A word. So it turns out 
See, this message of Jubilee. It's powerful. And I might have got 48% for School C English, but I want you to know I'm a walking example of the power of Jubilee. Somebody, somebody give a Lord praise this morning. It might happen once in a lifetime. Maybe it's just a prophetic utterance today that God enabled me to be right and my English nerd wife, incredibly hot English nerd wife, wrong. Can we just camp at that for a moment? Every husband here knows these are golden seconds that I'm enjoying right now. But the fourth person that I reckon God wants to speak jubilee over your life this morning is the waiter. His life is on pause. Some wrong in your world, some sin in your life, some issue, some failing, something that's wrong that's making you just wait out the sentence. I hate waiting. Waiting is of the devil. I hate waiting. I arrive at Dunedin Airport and Dunedin people, they need help. I mean, you know, there's all this huge bank of those machines where you can walk up, put in your code, you know, in New Zealand, give me this little pass and I just stick it on the top and just go beep beep and spits out my boarding pass. It's kind of cool. But you know, they've got this huge bank. All you've got to do is put in your name basically and it'll spit out a boarding pass for you. But no, 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 we're in the needed. So there's literally like 60 people in this huge long line. Beside them is this huge bank of machines where you can just, you know, literally beep, beep, and you've got your boarding pass. They're all, so I skipped that queue, of course. That's fantastic. And then I, I go up to the lounge and, and 25, 25 minutes before the flight, they're like, you need to get down now and board your plane. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? The plane doesn't leave for 25 minutes. Well, I work out why. Because they get down. There. Now, every other airport in New Zealand has kind of like this, this kind of ambiguity around the x-ray machines, you know, where you've got to put everything through, you've got to put your, your cell phone through and, you know, your laptop through. I never take a laptop, I take an iPad, because they never ask you if you've got an iPad, they only say if you've got a laptop, and I always say, I have not got a laptop. <laughs> and then I just take my bag and put it through, and they always let it go through. Let's be honest, half the time they're talking to each other, New Zealand's not exactly the centre of terrorist threat in the world. <laughs> But, but uh, you know, I get down there. Normally when I go there, I look for a space and I just jump straight in and then put my things through because I know how to do it in two seconds. I'm through the other side and I'm out of there and I never wait. If you're with me, there's no waiting. I get through the other side, I'm moving. If you're slow, tough. Because only the devil wants your life on pause. Just, uh, just kidding. You're like, wow, he really believes that. No, I don't. Of course not. I'm not, not weird. A little bit, a little bit weird. So, so I get there. There's no way to skip the queue. And these people, Dunedin, so it turns out Dunedin's a real terrorist threat. And they, I mean, they're going through everything. I mean, everything. They're searching your bag, opening up, you know, strip search. No, no, not really. But, but you know, they're going through everything. I'm like, wow, these people take this job really seriously. And it took like 20 minutes to get on the plane. I'm furious. I hate waiting. But anyway, God hates waiting too. He doesn't like people spending their life sitting around waiting for some kind of magical moment 
in John chapter 8 is this incredible story where this man is lame and he's waiting for the waters to stir because the first person in the water supposedly gets a miracle and gets free from their problem. And so, you know, the guy is just sitting there waiting and Jesus finds out he's been waiting for 38 years. You need to know that some Israelites waited 50 years. Some had to wait 40. Some did wait 38 until the year of Jubilee came. But Jesus came to end the season of waiting in our lives. He came so that nobody needed to spend their time getting old enough, good enough, mature enough, experienced enough. He came to end the sentence of our waiting so that we could be free, so that we could experience jubilee, so we could have a second chance. And He said to the man who was waiting, get up again, walk again, you're free, you're hold, you're, wait, you're, you're healed, you're whole, your waiting is over. And over every person in this room, who's got something about their life that they're just hoping they can get past it, get over it, move beyond it. Jesus came today to say to you, it's Jubilee. Your sentence is cancelled. You don't need to wait any longer. You're free in Jesus. You know, often in life, more damage is caused by the waiting than the original injury. You know, people can get bed sores, sickness, compound injuries. Sometimes you just gotta activate the movement for the healing to be possible. And God wants you to know it's Jubilee. Your sentence is cancelled. You can move again. You're whole in Jesus, free in Jesus, restored in Jesus. You've got a second chance. Number five is the band join me. The fifth area of Jubilee is for every debtor. You need to know that your debts are cancelled and you're in your jubilee. A problem with our wrongs is that wrongs create debts, financial, emotional debts over our lives. And for every debtor in this room, it's easy to live your life feeling that somehow this debt is hanging over you, not knowing that the reason why Jesus came was to pay our debts. He came to set us free. In Matthew 18 is the story of a man who is serving a master and the master is a picture of God. And God gave him, uh, God gave him stuff and the Bible tells us that he ends up in debt to the master, 10,000 talents, that's a lot. Ends up in debt and he goes to the master and says, I'm so sorry, I have no way of repaying my debt. And in Matthew 18, verse 27, the Bible says, the servant's master, our Father in heaven, took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Somebody can give God praise this morning that the Jesus, the God in heaven, took pity on me, took pity on you, that He cancelled the debt and He let us go. Our debts are cancelled. Our sin is free. You can't right the wrongs, but Jesus paid for them for us so that we could be free of our wrong, released from our suffering, so that the captive could go free. That's good news. I said, that's good news. Our lives have been made new. You know, if there's one movie I hate, it's the movie Seven Pounds with Will Smith. Do you know the movie? I hate that movie. I hate it 
while I was watching it. I hated it the moment it finished. I hate it when people tell me they like it. The reason why I just despise this movie is the notion that having made an atrocious mistake and created in his own life, the man feels a sense of debt, that somehow you can do seven acts of goodness for seven acts of wrong. It doesn't work that way. You can't repay your debts. That's why you need a Savior. We need salvation. Man, I don't do good to cancel the wrong. I do good because Jesus did good to me. And as I see my Father is the way I behave. Oh man, oh man. You can't not forgive yourself and then expect Christ's forgiveness to make a difference in your life. Jesus forgave you. Now forgive yourself. Your debt is cancelled. Come on, somebody's got to decide. If God forgave me, I'm forgiving myself. If God gave me a second chance, then I'm giving myself a second chance. I'm giving people around me a second chance. It's my jubilee. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church.